All right, we are in the middle of Luke chapter 10. Uh, We left off in verse 21. The background of things that we've been looking at, Jesus sent out um, a group of uh, 70 or 72, some versions say, uh, and they went out, they came back, and they were amazed at all the things that God was able to do. Uh, And then we read this in verse 21. It says, now in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Father, the, excuse me, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal, with, um, to reveal him. It begins with a phrase there where it says Jesus, in that same hour, that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit's interest because translated, it could be translated that Jesus was thrilled with joy. That he was, I mean, think of how certain things in life really make you excited and and then other things are like, yeah, whatever. Well, this thrilled Jesus with joy that these, if you will, regular folks could go out be used by God and come back delighted about that reality and that fact. So he was thrilled with joy. And, you know, we read in 1 Corinthians 20, uh, chapter 1, 27, 29, right in that area there, where it speaks of that God chooses to use the foolish and the weak things of this world to accomplish his purposes. And I think all of us in this room, I'm looking around, we all would say, yeah, that's me. And I agree with that. Now, God, another place we read, not many wise, not many noble, and so on. He can use the wise and he can use the noble if they are submitted to him in those things. You know, because sometimes we can become too smart for our own good. Or we can become uh, too trained or too educated. Or I have everything that I need, Lord. I don't need your help any longer here. But it's those of us that realize, look, I'm just a guy trying to follow the Lord myself. And if you want to come along with me, I'll help you and teach you some things that I learned along the way. Well, then we become a people that are very dependent. And Jesus was delighted to see God working in those types of people, the Father working in those types of people. So he says that he's thrilled with joy. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he calls them little children. One of the things we watched, The Truth Project, on Monday evening, and we see uh, one of the scenes of the, the show there, whatever it's called, um, is this little boy goes to the edge of a diving board, uh, and then he's nervous, as all kids are at the edge of the pool, edge of the diving board. I guess he's never done it before. But his mom's in the water, and he jumps into the water there. And the thing that really struck me, and then his mom picks him up and carries him and all that, the thing that struck me was the delight on the kid's face. You know, And there are times where we're reluctant to jump out in faith, but when we do, we're like, this is exactly where I wanted to be all along. And there's a great delight in there. Children have the ability to trust. Children have the ability to be obedient until we warp them, unfortunately. But they have the ability to be obedient. They have the ability to trust almost blindly. All right, when I'm really little, mom told me to do it, so I'll go ahead and I'll go do that. Now, I know sometimes have young kids, you're like, it's not my experience. <laughs> you know. But the idea is if they can place their trust, because mom said it, it must be true. Well, same idea here. We have this faith like a child that comes to the Lord. And God uses that simple faith to accomplish his purposes. You know, I think about, I I appreciate that book we have at the bookstore. It's called Harvest. Uh, And the reason why I appreciate it is the vast majority of the stories, testimonies of of guys that are in that book were just regular guys. 
and they happen to believe that God could do something through them. You know, and that's the story of the great men and women of the faith, is they happen to believe. You know, so another book we just put out there is um, the story of George Mueller. Do we have the biography of him? We have his, uh, I know we have his devotional. Do we have his biography? Okay. Oh, we, we do. Yeah, the, one of those that, one of the ones that Jesse gave us, yeah. So the story of George Mueller, though, great man of faith. We put his devotional out there this month, and it's just simply called Faith. And it's 30 entries of him, writings that he has written in the past on faith. And somebody asked me about it, and I said, you know, if I had to think of people in the history of the church that would be sort of the go-to guy or gal on faith, an argument could be made, he's the go-to guy. You know what I mean? So if I want to learn about faith, I'm going to read that devotional. So you have two left of that devotional? We have more than two. All right, we'll fight over who's going to get it. Um, That's the one I want to pick up. Anyhow, so simple faith. Lord, I trust you. You know, if you could, you, you say you could use a guy like me. All right, here I am. And then God does that, and it brings great joy to our hearts. And as we see here, it brings great joy to the Lord's heart as well. Now let's could, move on to... Could he, yeah. I was wondering, could the wise and learned be a, a um, reference to the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law? Yeah, certainly so. scribes. Yeah, and, and that was part of their problem. How could this carpenter guy, he come here and start telling us all about God and these things and that? What gives him the right? What authority do you have, they would say. So you're absolutely right, Paul. So you think he's, you think he's rejoicing about the previous verses, not what he says afterwards? Well, I see the two going together. Why don't you develop your point a little? So... So he sees them, those guys come back and report, and obviously he's, he's happy that they went out and did what he told them to, mm-hmm. and that God worked through them or whatever, but he seems to be addressing his thanks to the Father in the Father's hiding and revealing of, of the truth. And revealing it to... The little, the little children. And who are the little children? I, that's, right. what I'm, that's a connection I'm right. making. Okay. Okay. So we're on the same page. I'm just yeah, saying, I think so. I think, but he's rejoicing that the Father's will wasn't to, the Father's will was to hide and to reveal. He's rejoicing in the fact that it was, as he says, for that was your good pleasure, that was your gracious will, in other versions says, for that was your good pleasure. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you would say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Uh, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> That's what I'm, so how can Jesus be rejoicing in the fact that God hides it from some people and reveals it to others? Well, I think, and we can get into a discussion of election and all that, but I just think the key point that I want to draw is you. nothing needs to prevent a person from coming to the Lord. And so what I mean is, well, I'm not smart enough, or I can't understand, or that's too complicated. You know what I mean? It's just a simple belief. And, and certainly, you know, we can teach our five-year-old son or daughter to know mm-hmm. and and i believe they can you know and they they ask christ to come in their lives and and all that and then over the hopefully in the next 60 years they're developing an understanding of all that means right. but something nonetheless happened right you know i think that's just glorious right you know, so yeah my friend chuck missler made like paraphrase you know to be able to to for people to comprehend you know that god exi- exists and you know dimensions or whatever you want to call it outside of ours and he's like the only people who truly get that are like super duper like quantum physicists yeah and small children 
That's interesting. Because <laughs> a small child has no problem imagining. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you say like, so. Yeah. You know, you know, like, you know, I can go the speed of light. A small child can just, yeah, just in my imaginary world, I, I'm there. Huh. That's so, interesting. I think that's the whole infant thing. I think that's part of it, too. Like, us thinking like a child and letting go of our perception. Because mm -hmm. to get a young child, their perception is so limited, so that just their imagination takes over. Also, I think as adults, we overcomplicate things. Right? So, right. When I mean, when I first came to Christ, I all I knew was that I was loved and He was going to provide. So, And it's as simple as that. It's so simple. I'm loved unconditionally. But over time, I've, I've come to twist that around to be what I want it to be. And, and I'm not a, a little child anymore. I'm learned. Hmm. Right? And then having to keep reminding myself, grace. Just, it's grace and love. Grace mm -hmm. and you know, and going back it's to that. It's simplicity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like my daughter trusts that when I throw her twenty feet in the air, I'm going to catch her. She likes that. She... Twenty feet. I exaggerate. It was like two. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on here. Verse twenty-three. Uh, it says, "Then turning to his disciples, he said privately." Oh, we skipped twenty-two. Did I? Yes. Uh-oh. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. I read it, though, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Got it? <laughs> All right. I didn't have any comments on it. Did anybody want to make a comment on it? Well, I guess that, I'm sure that there's a lot there. with what you said. That, I mean, the, the simplicity of, of believing mm -hmm. is such that you also realize at some point, you can try to say, oh, I reasoned myself into... God just makes sense, and salvation makes sense. And that's that's obviously not what this says. This said, no, God revealed it to you. That's why you understand it. That's mm -hmm. why you put your faith in it. So that's the little child aspect, again, like jumping off the driving board. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he told me. Well, it's spiritually revealed. Yeah, it's, yeah, obviously there's things going on that are not. Well, I'm just saying God imparts. Like, why do you know? Because I know. Because God told me so. Yeah, the Lord takes the blinders off yeah, and he reveals. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, the next verse, I mean, it says then, 23 and 4, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, so these disciples are in the very presence of the ones, of the one, I should say, that Moses, from a distance, pictured in his head. And Elijah, and Isaiah, and King David, and all of these amazing people of the faith that we know of, that we read about, they pale, if you will, as far as experience is concerned, with what these disciples are able to do. Sit around a campfire and take a boat and walk down the street and nap next to the Messiah himself that all of these guys have been looking forward to. So, blessed are your eyes to see what you see and hear what you were here. They were privileged. They saw the miracles. They heard his teachings. Uh, and so, it is... Uh, and you know what? You and I, now we don't get to go and physically sit with Jesus, but I do... That would be pretty cool. Well, they didn't. You, yeah, Pentecost pre and post. 
okay, so that's what I was going to say, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God within, you know, so who's better off? It would still be pretty cool to sit with Jesus, you know, but anyhow, so we will, yeah. All right, now let's move on. Many of you know this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, I heard somebody say, you know, we could probably call each one of us up to tell the story, and we'd probably all get it pretty good. You know what I mean? It's a story we're very, very familiar with. Um, So let me read the first few verses. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Good answer. He said, you've answered correctly. Do it, and you'll live. So we begin, and it talks about a lawyer. Now, we all think we we know for certain what a lawyer is. A lawyer is a guy that charges you a lot of money for uh, their services. Now, a lawyer in the Bible's sense of it is not just a person that is skilled in the law to argue cases and things like that, but we're referring to a person that was an expert in the Old Testament law. So it's a religious leader as opposed to... Um, you know, a lawyer like we're familiar with. And this particular lawyer, this expert in the Old Testament, sees Jesus doing his thing, teaching and all that, and he comes, and the passage says that he puts him to the test. Not coming to learn from Jesus, but coming to test Jesus. Now, the meaning of that word, that just that term, put him to the test, isn't necessarily a negative thing. You know, so he could have come and... You know, I'm, a lot of people are following this guy. I, I wonder if I should follow this guy. I think that's good. You know, you know, to go blindly follow people here. But if you look at verse 29, which I didn't read to you, but if you look at verse 29, a little further down, it says, desiring to justify himself. So here's a guy that's not really coming to learn or to be molded or anything like that. He's coming with an agenda here. And so he comes and he puts Jesus uh, to the test. I think this guy's clear intention is to show how good of a guy he is and justify himself. I'm a pretty good guy here. I do a lot of good things, you know. Yeah, a lot of people follow you around, but I'm a good guy too. Uh, And, you know, I think we see this. My experience has been I tend to do this, to be honest with you. There's an area of my life that is a weakness, and what do I do? I focus on the areas of my life that are very, very good. Yeah, I may be weak here, but I do 500 other things that are pretty good. So it, it balances out. I've also found others who don't quite want to be confronted by God and have the glory of God shine in their life and reveal areas of need uh, will come up with excuses for why they're okay. I have everything I need. I don't, I don't need anything additional. So sometimes you hear people will say things like, well, you know, I give to the poor. Well, that's good. I'm really glad you do. Some people say, well, I go to church every week. You know, people come up with excuses here uh, to show how religious or how good they are. Uh, so this guy here, he says, uh, he comes to him, he puts Jesus to the test, and his question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And again, I don't think he wants to know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I think he wants Jesus, at the end of this conversation, to say, you know what, you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. I think that's what the guy is looking for here. We have a story in Luke chapter 18 where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks the exact same question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in that case, Jesus answers him a different answer. So apparently Jesus doesn't know how to get to heaven because he's given different answers to different people. I don't think so. 
But to that man, he says, oh, you want to go to heaven? Here's what you need to do. Go, sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then look me up and come follow me. That's his answer to that particular guy. And the scripture in that place says that the guy goes away very sad because he had much money, it said. And he's trying to figure out, do I really want to follow Jesus? And oh my gosh, I can get him money. We don't know if he gave up all that money to go follow Jesus, but nonetheless, in that instance, he went away very sad. So is that how we get to heaven? We buy our way into heaven? Give away all our things? I don't think so. I think most of you would agree. Uh, Jesus gives a different response to this guy. What do I need to do uh, to go to heaven? Now, Jesus could have just said, well, you can't do anything to get to heaven. You're not going to earn your way to get there. But rather than just giving the guy an answer, Jesus instead reveals to the man, just as I think he did with the rich young ruler, what it is that is keeping him from inheriting salvation. Mm -hmm. So what was, it keep, what was keeping the rich man from inheriting salvation? It was all of his money, which apparently he was spending on himself and not on the poor. What is keeping this particular guy? It's a self-righteous attitude that I am okay and I have everything down. So Jesus here is going to answer this guy's question. So he says to him, and he's got a plan here, he says to him first, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So rather than coming out and saying, well, you know what, you're wrong to the guy, uh, or you're not going to heaven and you're really not going to be able to because you're just, a, he, rather than just coming out and saying it, he instead tells the guy a story. Uh, it's an effective technique. Uh, he takes him down a path with a conversation that will ultimately reveal to the guy that he is wrong. The guy will come to that conclusion himself. Um, so it's interesting what Jesus does here. Uh, and this guy knows the law. He, he responds, he says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he adds, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy, I think it's 6, 7, something like that. Five. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, love six, the Lord. 6, 5. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I believe it's a little bit later in the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's 18, but I'm not sure. Uh, in which it says, talks about your neighbor as yourself. So this guy has essentially taken the whole Old Testament. Jesus talked about this in another place. You can bring, break it all down to these two things. And he says, that's what I need to do. So Jesus now answers him and essentially says, great answer. Go do those things and you'll live. Well, remember this guy, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted you to say, you are doing these things and you're good to go. I wanted to justify myself. And so... Uh, Jesus then says to him, I'm going to tell you a little story. And the story is going to show the guy that he hasn't been doing these things. He thinks he's been doing these things, but that he actually hasn't been. And he's going to reveal it to the, own, the man's heart. So starting in verse uh, 29, he says, and I'll read the whole thing and we'll go back and talk about it. It says, but he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, 
pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think, is what Jesus said to the man, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So going back to verse 29, it begins and it says, But he desiring to justify himself. Now, the Greek lexicon, which is essentially like a big dictionary of the Greek language, it translates this justify himself this way. Uh, to render righteous or such he ought to be, to show, exhibit, evince, one to be righteous since as he is and wishes himself to be considered. I think that's key, that wishes himself to be considered. And then the other possible definition is to declare, pronounce, one to be just, righteous, or such as he ought to be. So is this guy, this guy already considered himself to be righteous, if he did, why come and ask Jesus in the first place? Because I think he wants to hear everybody say, you're a great guy. Uh, that's his real motivation, that everyone would, would acknowledge him to be righteous. So he says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? You know, I don't want to go loving people that I'm not, I don't need to be loving. I just want to love the, the people I have to love to get into heaven or something like that. So who's my neighbor? Now, if this guy wanted to just himself, uh, then he brings up the wrong part of the equation. Because if he were to say, well, I have been loving God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's really no way that I can say, no, you haven't, because I don't know what's going on inside your heart and mind and, and all these sorts of things. Maybe I could say, well, then why'd you kick that dog the other day? You know, it was wrong of you, or whatever. But I can't tell what's going on inside of him, but I can tell if he has been loving his neighbor. So the guy should have just stuck with the God thing or whatever, but instead he decided to bring up the neighbor, and so Jesus said, great, I brought you into my trap, you know what I mean? And he reels him in here. <laughs> And so Jesus then replies, uh, and he says, you know, there was a man going down. And again, rather than a direct answer to who's my neighbor, Jesus tells a story. And it's going to provide the answer, and it's going to bring the fellow to the place where he for himself comes to the conclusion. And I think that's important. I think it's a great way to teach, um, is let the person come to the conclusion themselves as you guide and direct them. And Jesus' parables have, are very effective in doing that. So it goes on, verse 30, a man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, they beat him, and he departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very common uh, trip. If any, basically, anybody that lived in the north, uh, in the Galilee region, any of those cities that are up there, uh, they would make their way to Jerusalem for the holidays and all that. So this was a common road that would go from Jerusalem through Jericho up into Galilee. Uh, and so they're making their way down this. It was common for people, travelers. It was common for businessmen. The road was a road that was very rocky, um, hilly, mountainy, actually, more so than hilly. Um, it, because of the, the incline and decline, Rather than building straight roads, you would build snaky kind of roads there, just so you don't go too fast, that kind of thing. Or because there's a boulder there, go around it, um, sort of thing. So it was one of those places where a lot of people could hide behind a rock, 
you'd be walking down the path, and next thing you know, you're surrounded by a band of thieves or something like that. Uh, it earned the nickname, this road earned the nickname, The Bloody Way, uh, by one guy in history and, and others. And so, a guy, St. Jerome is the one who named it The Bloody Way, uh, because it, this was very, very typical. Uh, if it's a road that businessmen and travelers are traveling, what do those guys typically have with them? They usually have a little more cash than the guy that's running off to work or, you know, this place or that way. And so uh, this is not an uncommon thing. And everyone like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it's the reason people traveled in large groups to keep themselves safe. Anyway, verse 31 continues. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, as well as a Levite came and saw him, and then a Samaritan, as he was on his journey, came to where he was. He saw him and had compassion. So three men encounter this victim. The first is a priest. Now, typically we think that this is referring to a Jewish priest, and it probably is, but it doesn't have to. There's nothing in the word that indicates whether it was a Jewish priest or a Gentile priest. Either way, it refers to a person whose life is devoted to the performance of sacred rites and rituals. And that's what they do. If it's a Jewish priest and he's coming down from Jerusalem, he just probably spent his week in Jerusalem, did what he had to do, and is now making his way back to his family. Uh, and he sees the victim, and he passes on the other side. Now, why does he pass on the other side? What are, what are some things you think might have motivated him to cross the street? What do you think, Baron? Okay, the guy was... No, we don't know if the victim was a Samaritan. Yeah, that's right. All right, next point. Okay. Um, doesn't want to be unclean. Okay. Doesn't, so if a priest were to touch a bloody body and things like that, now he is unclean. But what I could respond to that is, well, technically you just did your service if you're coming from Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter if you're clean or unclean, right? But anyway, he could be, would be unclean. What else? No time. I've been away all week. I got to get home. My wife said if I'm late, she's giving the food to the dog or something like that. All right, so too busy to be bothered. I think that's uh, a good answer. Maybe using the analogy I was sharing, too tired. I served all week. I'm done. I'm done. I'm off duty. All right, have you been there? The benefit of the doubt and say that maybe he was suspicious. Okay, I think that's a great one. This guy was laying on the road, just like lure him in, and then. Get him. Yeah. And that, by the way, was a common technique. Even today, sadly, a car breaks down, you're a nice person, you help, and then mm -hmm. you get robbed or whatever. So um, that is certainly a viable possibility. Yeah. Others? Just didn't care. Just didn't care. Yeah. Do you think he ever did care in his life? Yeah. Probably so, right? Mm -hmm. I can imagine. I remember when I was an altar boy. Uh, I was so excited for that, like, first few times. I was nervous, you know, and I, I would ring the bell the wrong time. He yelled at me. <laughs> but I remember just being, like, so excited about the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, eventually it's like, okay, you know, i got to go early and do that thing. But uh, I imagine this guy's first week or whatever at, turned, what's it, 20 you, you turned? At some point in the Old Testament it was 20. I think it was typically 30. Um, but anyway... And whatever the year was, and he goes there for that first time, and he's doing ministry, and he's like, this is awesome, I love it. You know, but something happened to him, perhaps, and he was hardened over, and he no longer cared uh, anymore. Uh, you know, it maybe it says that the Samaritan was moved with compassion. 
it doesn't say that of the priest or the Levite. You know, so we have to assume that they weren't moved with compassion or certainly not enough compassion to cause them to do. Um, you know, is it possible that this priest thought, you know what, it's his fault anyway. Dummy was walking down this road by himself. Everybody knew, well, so was he, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, he brought this on himself. You know, so to put it our way, you know, that guy there, he's struggling. He's on the street because of drugs that he took. Well, if he didn't take those drugs, he wouldn't be out on that street. You know, I'm tired of helping him. I, get, I did help him. And now he's back on drugs again. You know what? Good riddance kind of thing. Can you see how that could happen? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, here we have, that, that's some examples for that guy. Now the Levite, Levite, all Jewish priests were Levites. They had to be from the tribe of Levite. Levi, but not all Levites, let me see, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so not all Levites could be priests though, the priests came from uh, the line of Aaron there, and so this Levite, the Levite's job was to serve at the temple and essentially make ministry possible for the priests, so they would make sure the utensils were clean and you know the lights were on and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, and here's this guy, so he works for the church, if you will, and he's making his way down this road, and just like the priest, he's unmoved by the person's plight, and so he passes by on the other side, perhaps for some of the same reasons that we just mentioned. Was the, Maybe it was the Sabbath. <laughs> were our lawyers, were, were all lawyers Levites? Levites? I don't know. All of them. That's true. Is he called a lawyer? Well, he's a rabbi. He was a Sanhedrin. Yeah. Well, there you go. Wasn't sure because I knew that they 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 handled the scripture rights. I didn't know who was allowed to touch the scriptures to re- rewrite them and mm-hmm. right. So maybe some versions that. call this lawyer a scribe, doesn't it? Uh, Am I correct in that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I'm just he wondering if he had a, he had a loop in both the religious leaders, both the religious types in his story. Jesus did to, mm-hmm. to make relation. I didn't I'm not sure. Well, the next guy is a Samaritan. Now, I'm not sure how most of us think Samaritans must be good because that's the only adjective typically associated with Samaritans. Uh, Samaritans in that day were a despised people. Uh, The Samaritan, the area of Samaria was essentially uh, Mercer County for New Jersey. You know, sort of you take the center of Israel and that's where the area of uh, Samaria was. Back in the Old Testament, somewhere around the year 1000 or so B.C., uh, the area began, it was Jewish people that began to worship and serve false gods. A hundred or so years after that, 200 years after that, the Assyrians came into that area and began to intermarry with those Jewish people. So now they're they're half Jewish, half Assyrian. They they worship um, in a way that's somewhat Jewish but not properly Jewish and all that. So the Samaritans were despised by the real Jews, the Jewish people. And the Samaritans hated the Jewish people because they treated them like dirt. And so there wasn't a good relationship here. So it's fascinating that Jesus, he turns prejudices upside down by introducing this Samaritan as the good guy in the story. So if Jesus were to tell this story and say something like, you know, there was a man going down, and he was attacked by a group of Samaritans. Everybody would have said, yeah, I understand what he's talking about. 
you know, but Jesus turns the story upside down here, and he makes the Samaritan uh, the good guy uh, in the story. Um, I think that's interesting. And here's the first lesson that I pull from just what we're looking at. Loving your neighbor, which is where we go back to here, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means all people, even those that your culture tells you that you are to despise. And so, you know, we all have grown up a little bit differently. And probably each of us have been told certain things based on life. So if we come from means, maybe we were told to despise people that aren't of means. You know, if we come from education, then we despise those that don't have it. If we come from this race, maybe it's that those from that race, whatever it may be. So there are people that our culture, our upbringing has sort of just ingrained into us. This is how we think about this. And everyone's on the same page, so you better think also. Mm-hmm. Well, coming to Christ changes all that. Mm-hmm. And so it means we love our neighbor means even those that I'm told uh, to despise. So I'd encourage you, search, let the Lord search your heart. If there's an area of your life that this is you know, an issue on, then let God change it uh, in that matter. So let me continue reading verse 34. He says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds. So this is the Samaritan. Went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, Clearly the one who has shown mercy. I see, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six different ways that this Samaritan proves to be a neighbor. First one is he binds up his wounds. Well, the man was beaten and left half dead, it said. Stripped, naked, beaten, left half dead. Chances are, more than likely, there's going to be lots and lots of blood. This guy is a bloody mess here. And yet, the Samaritan will go, and he will get his hands dirty here, and he will himself become messy as he cares for him. You know, in ministry, I've, somebody told me this a long time ago, ministry is messy. As we begin to care for people, and love people, and serve people, we get hurt sometimes in that process. I remember an instance we... We were throwing a uh, neighborhood picnic um, for the neighborhood over by Parkway Elementary uh, School. And during that whole process, one lady was there, and she was serving and doing all sorts of things. Uh, and a guy, you know, came to the picnic, and mo- a lot of church people and some neighborhood people. And the guy said something that was incredibly hurtful to this woman. And I knew it right away. And I was like, I can't believe you just said it. You know, why would you say something like that? And, you know, he's not a Christian. He doesn't maybe think or whatever. I don't know. Not all Christians think. Uh, and this woman from the church, she, was, she excused herself from the conversation and headed down the driveway and got in her car. And I, like, ran after her. Are you okay? You know. And she was crying and she said, I just got to get out. You know, or whatever. Ministry's messy. And I, I tried to share that with her. Ministry's messy. You know, we're going to open ourselves up and we're going to get hurt sometimes. Here this guy becomes a bloody mess as he helps him. Number two, it says that he pours on oil and wine. So now the Samaritan is helping in a way that requires personal sacrifice. He brought this oil, he brought this wine, not to heal strangers on the road. He brought it for himself or his business, whatever it may be, and yet he shared them with this stranger. So his ministry cost him something. It cost him sacrifice. It goes on, it says that he set him, the the injured man, on his own animal. And so he sacrificed his comforts 
for this stranger. The man rode the animal while he walked along. Well, he worked hard to get that animal for himself, but he sacrifices that for ministry. It says that he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. His agenda for the day was completely thrown out. You know what? I'm going to get to the nice inn. I'll swim in the pool. You know, I'll sit in the the sauna or whatever it may be. I'll read. I'm away from my kids. It'll be quiet. You know, I don't know what his plan was for that particular day. Maybe he was going to go all the way home, and be home and see his family and have a nice dinner. But this all slowed him down, and he put all of that aside, his agenda, in order to love this stranger. And that's what we're called to do. That's how we love our neighbor. And then the last one, or two more actually. It says, and then the next day, he took out two denarii. Well, a denarii was a day's wage. I don't know how well you're doing in your particular job, but I used to think of it this way. When I used to be a substitute teacher, we would make $85 a day for substituting in the public school. Um, I'm sure by now they make a few more than that. So let's just say, and it's easier for math, let's just say it's $100 a day is what we earn. Some of us earn more than that, some of us perhaps less than that. This guy pulled out $200 and put it on the table to pay for this guy. And apparently he was a trustworthy guy in when he said, if it costs more than that, I'll come back and I'll pay you then. That's remarkable. Would you pull out $200 in cash for some stranger of that people that we're not supposed to like anyway? Well, he loved his neighbor in that way. It cost him money in this case. And then finally it says... Uh, and when I come back, uh, he remained invested in the life of this stranger. I, I so appreciated, uh, Jim, I'll point you out, when you know, we had done some ministry down at Columbus Park, and then the next week or a couple of weeks after, there's a guy from there. I'm like, how'd you get here? Jim picked me up. That's amazing. Be remaining invested in the life of this stranger, and that's what we're called to do as we love our neighbor. So uh, we see... The ways in which he loved. And it goes on, Jesus says, Which of these three, three do you think loved his neighbor? So this man came to prove Jesus. That is, put Jesus to the test. Now he's being asked questions. Now he's the one who is taking a test here. And he failed his test. Uh, realize, well, he failed his test in the sense, I don't measure up to that. So initially he came wanting to justify himself, and he realized he can't. So, these commands, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. Uh, are they just randomly given to that guy? No. These are the things he pulled out of the Old Testament, correct? Uh, Deuteronomy, as Paul said. So let me ask you this. Do they apply to us? Yeah. So, how you doing? Are you f- fulfilling these commands? Do you love like the Samaritan? in a way that's messy, costly, uncomfortable, requires you to put your agenda aside? More than likely, probably your answer is not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I try to, sometimes I do well. Let me ask you, which of those is the hardest to get over? A lot of head nods on that, Dave. That's mine, absolutely. Anybody else? I, I, I don't know. Yes. 
<laughs> Putting my agenda aside is difficult, but it's typically things I have to do. Like I have to go to work. You know, I don't. I don't necessarily always have money to give. Mm-hmm. So that's really hard. And those things, how how can it not weigh so heavily on my heart? Maybe that's something I should ask somebody else. <laughs> like when I can't give a hundred and ten percent. When I hear about, you know. Um, what happened in West Trenton yesterday. It weighs so much on my heart that I can't give everything I possibly have to people. Mm-hmm. And how do I make that boundary? Where does it say in the Bible that I I have that boundary? Do I have that boundary? That's what I mean. And how do I still honor my non-Christian husband while mm-hmm. good being question. a Christian? Giving hey, all y'all. his money away. <laughs> Sorry about Giving that. all his money away. Yeah. 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 You know what, that's where that's where listening. Mm-hmm. Listening to God, right? Yeah. I I guess I would say also on that is uh, that's why mission trips are so somewhat easy because your disruptive normal life when you're on a mission trip. That's devoted yeah. to that's, it. Yep. Yeah. Taking yeah. your time off to go. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've already put your, or, well, the messy part with the kids was a little hard for me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's a guy who carries like Purell, Purell, is that what it's called, <laughs> around, you know, so you get little little kids with noses and stuff. I like how, how Adam said it when you were, were uh-huh. gone on the, the conference thing. He's, he was talking about how, you know, he had gone on his first mission trip and he came back and he was telling Rachel about, do you guys remember this? Uh-huh. About he was telling Rachel how he went and, you know, Rachel, he came back from work and, and Rachel was like, so did you tell anybody about Jesus today? And he said, nah. She was like, oh, only in Israel. That sticks with me. Yeah, only stick? on the mission field, yep. Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't call us to be successful. He just calls us to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Faithful each day, each hour, each moment. Um, you know, my household, you know, is saved. Um, and I have an added person there who, the only way he knows of Jesus is what the world has taught him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the only light of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this wasn't the ministry I wanted to do. I would love to go overseas. <laughs> but the Lord put people in my home. Yeah. And that's where my mother had people in her home. Um, so it is just like every day, every hour kind of thing. Because... Um, you know, I'm called to do things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't get into too much of that, but um, it's just like um, one thing is if you're in the Word, just like being fed three times a day. I always think of Daniel praying three times a day, but I'm sure he read scriptures three times a day. That was his spiritual food, mm-hmm. and that's what I try to do: is have some spiritual food mm-hmm. three times a day, and then whatever gets pushed into me or pushed at, at you, me, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a calmer spirit because mm-hmm. the whole spirit's been 
with me, but he doesn't mm -hmm. want you to be successful 110%. That's his mm -hmm. job, because none of us can do that. Mm -hmm. But we have to be called to be faithful. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yes, sir. Oh. Was that your hand? I'm sorry. I thought you raised your yeah, hand. Well, no, I, I don't know. Are we done with this? Well, I wanted to wrap up something with it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I think a couple things we see, we've heard, is becoming familiar with the leading of God. You know, and I think the point that Ruth brings up about seeking Him in prayer and in His Word throughout our day, uh, and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, you brought up a point about. You know, I have a job, I got I got those things, I can't just, sorry, I'm not coming into work, you know what I mean, because, um, or whatever reason here, um, I think there's a reality to that, and the thing that's really challenging to me, now I do this kind of full time, but the thing that's really challenging to me is, uh, is my free time, you know, that's my time, you know, I've earned that time, or whatever, and I think God would have us think differently about that. You know, and and be, and submit that to him, and be willing to submit that to him. Um, and I think that's an area that we could probably all grow in, and God would really use us as as we do. I do think we need to rest, and I think we need to pull back, and that's one of the challenges I doing this full time as a job um, is to know. Well, there's plenty of that. I could do stuff every day for the rest of my life, you know, but. And I could probably do it better if I take a nap every now and then, you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, seeking the Lord and following His leading and direction, um, is, I think, is key. Bob, did you want to add something? Or? Okay, it takes a little different direction. Okay. It's just that this, I see a parallel here between uh, this and, what is it, Matthew 5, where he talks about uh, hmm. uh, loving thing. those who hate you and so forth. Um, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? <laughs> so here it was a Samaritan guy. He was telling the lawyer, you're supposed to love this guy you don't like. Which, that's a challenge for me. Yeah. Loving people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe all this, I don't know. All right, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in, in ways that are so costly as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one last thing I'd, I want to add is that I remembered while Bob said it was, um, you know, we want to guard our money. We want to guard our agendas uh, and all these other things. Guard our heart. I don't want to get hurt, mm. you know. Um, something that's just been resonating in my heart and my mind is Jesus said that if you save your life here on this earth, you lose it. And if you lose your life here on this earth, you find it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I think as we as we serve God and we really pour ourselves out unto Him and say, Lord, my life is your life. Use me as you want to use me. We discover what we were meant to live for mm -hmm. and the great joy of knowing the Lord and serving the Lord. And you know, So I work, I'm working with a young man now and he, and I can see he's reserving himself in ministry because he's trying to guard losing something. And, like, I'm tired, I don't want to, you know, or I don't want to do that, I'm uncomfortable with that, I won't be able to have this or that. And one of the things that I'm trying to emphasize with him is lose your life, and you'll be so delighted you did, you know. And so I think there's, there's another part of the lesson that we see here. 
And I'd encourage you with this. If you're like the Levite and priest in some areas, maybe you've become hardened to people. Maybe you've become jaded. Uh, maybe you're afraid. You know, what, what happens if I get hurt, someone attacks me. Or maybe you're just too busy. I've got plenty of other things I've got to do. I don't have time to help this guy. Have God change that in you. And, and it always begins. We come to the Lord realizing the problem, present it to Him, and that's where change really begins. And so I'd encourage you, seek the Lord if God spoke to you in any of these things. Uh, ask Him to change you. Ask Him to make you more like that Samaritan that you would love well.